there were two older guys named Ed and Fred. They had been friends for a really long time, and Ed was a constant worrier. And they're having a conversation one day, and, and Ed says, Fred, I'm really worried. And Fred says, okay, what are you worried about now? And Ed said, I'm really worried that there might not be baseball in heaven. You see, Ed had played baseball and coached baseball, and he could not imagine eternity without baseball. So his friend Fred said, listen, buddy, I'll tell you what. If I die before you, I will come back from heaven and let you know if they play baseball there. Well, as it turned out, the next night, Fred died. And later that week, Ed's sound asleep in bed, and he sees this shadowy figure. And he goes, Fred, is that you? And Fred goes, yep, yep, I'm here from heaven, and I have good news and bad news. Which would you like first? And Ed says, well, um, give, me the, give me the good news first. And so Fred says, buddy, I'm here to tell you there is baseball in heaven. And Ed is just overjoyed, and he says, well, what's the bad news? And Fred says, you're pitching tomorrow night. Let me ask you this. How many of you would like to learn to worry more? Okay, what's the alternative? How many of you would like to learn how to worry less? I think all of us would say, yeah, that's what I want. I want to experience this peace that God says is possible. And when you think about it, peace is such an important part of the Christmas story. Way back in the book of Isaiah, there's this promise. A baby is coming, and he's going to be called Wonderful Counselor. All these titles, and one of them is Prince of what? Prince of Peace. Now, I was thinking about this week. Um, when you look at a manger scene, how many of you um, have a nativity in your home? I'm just curious. Okay, quite a few of you. When you look at a manger scene, um, this is what you often find. This tranquility, right? Mary is peaceful, and Joseph is peaceful, and baby Jesus is peaceful, and the animals look like they're about to fall asleep, right? Now, ladies... Let me ask you this, is having a baby peaceful? Not by a long shot. And it's, it's interesting too, you know, one of my favorite Christmas carols is Silent Night, right? Silent Night, Holy Night, all is what? All is calm, all is right. Sleep in heavenly peace. Now you would think from maybe looking at these pictures or hearing that Christmas, Christmas carol that when Jesus was born, the world was a pretty peaceful place, but nothing is further from the truth. I mean, there was incredible turmoil in the Roman Empire. One of the things that was going on was taxation. And it was such a burden for the people of Israel. In fact, because the Roman army was expanding and conquering new territory, the taxes were going up. And not only that, when Jesus was born, there was this decline in the morality of public officials. Really big problem in the Roman Empire. And so to keep people from revolting, there were government handouts. They gave them bread. Um, they invited them to the Colosseum. People were distracted from the real issues of the day by athletic competition, um, by entertainment. Does that sound vaguely familiar to the world that we live in? And so just as, as God promises peace to the world that Jesus entered, God promises peace to us as well. This week I read about a group of, um, of people. It's called the Mental Health America Society. And they did the survey to determine what makes people anxious during the holidays, what people worry about, top three things. You probably won't relate to any of these, but let me share them anyway. Finances, family, and too much to do. That's quite a trifecta, isn't it? And so there's this distinct lack of peace in our hearts. But when you look at the Christmas story, you find that peace really bookends the life of Jesus. 
Because on the one hand, the angels have this incredible message about peace on earth because Messiah has been born. And then you go all the way to the end of Jesus' life. And before he goes to the cross, this is what he says to his disciples. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. And notice this. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And wouldn't it be great if we could actually do that? If we could not have troubled hearts, if we could let go of our fear, how is that possible? Well, today as I talk about worry, it may be that um, worry knocks on your door as an occasional visitor. Or maybe um, worry has moved into your life as a constant companion. Maybe when it comes to worry, it's just a minor distraction, or maybe it can completely immobilize you because you get so anxious. Whatever the case may be, I'd like to do this. I want to begin by looking at why we worry. Why is it that we have this tendency to have anxious thoughts? And there are three reasons, and I'm briefly going to point these out, and these are on your outline. Here's the first, because bad things happen to who? To every, everyone. Let me ask you this. Do bad things happen to bad people? That's easy. Um, do bad things happen to quote-unquote good people? Well, yeah. I mean, even the disciples, Jesus said, hey, in this world you will have trouble. You don't get a, a free pass even if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. The fact is that bad things happen to all kinds of people. Even the rich and famous are not exempt. And I know that because I looked at the headlines um, of the National Enquirer magazine when I was in Publix. They're not exempt. They have problems too. And yet one of the ways that people deal with their anxiety is by refusing to acknowledge the possibility that anything can go wrong. And men are especially good at this. Isn't that true, guys? You know, your wife will say, hey, what's wrong? Because she knows that something's bothering you. Nothing? You doing okay? Yeah, I'm fine. See, it's, it's kind of funny. Um, guys sometimes think if I don't talk about it, it won't happen, right? And that's why guys don't go to the doctor, right? Because nothing's wrong. Now, here's a, a second reason that we worry. The future is what? It's uncertain. It's really uncertain. In fact, the Bible says in the book of James, hey, don't brag about what you're going to do tomorrow because you have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. I mean, we know that, that bad stuff happens, but we don't know when it's going to happen. We don't know how it's going to happen. We don't know to whom it will happen. Um, for example, do you know what is the, uh, the number one symptom of heart disease? Sudden death. <laughs> Great. Okay, now I know I have a heart problem. See, we can do all kinds of things to, you know, manage the risk, right? I mean, we can, you know, try to eat a healthy diet or get exercise or, you know, watch our cholesterol. But the fact is the future is completely unknowable to us. Now, here's the third reason that we worry. We are not in control. We're not in control. That is, the amount of control that we have is not enough to protect us from the bad stuff that could happen. At the best, we have the illusion of control. And even the so-called experts can't guarantee the outcome of future events. Doctors get sick. Did you know that? Lawyers get sued. Um, policemen get robbed. Even parents who really love their kids and do the best that they can can end up being hurt by their children, by their teenagers, even rejected by their adult children. We need something that will enable us to have peace in a world where we can't and be in charge of the events or the, first, or the forces that, uh, that affect us. And I was thinking that, you know, maybe so far this morning, you're thinking, man, this is a pretty depressing message. 
I wasn't depressed when I came in, but I'm really worried about a lot of stuff now. Listen, I want this message to really be helpful because here's, here's what I, I really believe. God wants us to have a faith that will work in the real world. Is that the kind of faith that you want? That's the kind of faith that I want. So we're going to answer this question, how can I have a peaceful heart? In a world where bad things happen to everybody, um, in a world where we don't know when it's going to happen or what's going to happen, where we don't have control, how is it really possible to experience peace? Now here's where I want to begin. Think about this. Have you ever noticed how little kids tell you about everything in their life? Isn't that true? I mean, if you're a parent, you know this. When my kids were little, you know, they would bump their, their knee, right? And so we talk about boo-boos for I don't know how long, right? And um, they would discover a new insect or a new bug. And man, it's just, Dad, you see this bug? And, you know, just for, for hours, we would have these conversations. And then they entered the world of being a teenager. And those conversations became much shorter. Some of you know this. You know, I'd be driving my kids to school and trying to engage them in conversation. I would ask open-end questions because that's supposed to help. And you get these one-word answers. So how was your day? Good. How are you doing? Fine. Really? Yeah, I'm okay. And you know, teenage boys have this really um, sophisticated method of nonverbal communication. Um, you can ask a teenage boy, how are you doing? And this is what you get. That's a head bob. Now, generally what that means is I'm okay. But, but here's the thing. When you're a parent, do you want your kids to talk to you? Do you want them to, to share what they're thinking and what they're feeling? Well, of course you do. Now think about God. God is a father who wants his kids to talk to him about what? Yeah, everything. And look at this verse. This is from Philippians. We're going to look at these verses um, section by section. But it says, don't worry about anything. And said, pray about what? About everything. Talk to God about everything. So how can you have a peaceful heart? Here's the first thing. Keep talking to God about your life. Keep talking to God about your life. Listen, you know, throughout the day, you can have this running conversation with God. You can tell him about the big stuff and the little stuff and all the stuff in between. And notice how this passage continues. Because here's the thing. Worry should be a trigger to pray. And notice what it says here in Philippians. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. And the next sentence, tell God what you what? What you need. Now, why is that so important? Well, why do problems produce anxiety in our lives? Because we worry that we won't have what we need. I won't have the job that I need. I won't have the money that I need. I won't have the help that I need. I won't have the friends that I need. I won't have the wisdom that I need. Listen, God is a father who promises to provide everything necessary to accomplish his purpose for our lives. See, problems are reminders that we need help beyond ourselves. Think about that for a minute. Problems are reminders that we need help beyond ourselves. As somebody once said, God is a very present help in trouble, but in worry, you're on your own. That's why the Bible says that when you're anxious, tell God what you need. And it's important to be specific. The, the word in this passage is petition. That's a very specific request. So look at this statement on your outline. Dear God, today I need. How would you fill that in? I mean, what would you say to God right now? God, I need a few hours of sleep. God, I need some money for the holidays. God, I need patience with my kids. What would it be that you would ask God for today? Because God wants us to come to him with the things that we need. And as we pray, here's something very important to remember, that no problem in your life is too big for God's power. And no problem is too small for his concern. Talking to God about what you need 
can help lessen your anxiety. And notice how the verse continues. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what? For all he has done. And when it comes to thanking God for what he's done, I mean, the, the most important thing that God's ever done for us is what Christmas is all about, isn't it? He sent a Savior. Why? Because we needed a Savior. Because our sins had separated us from a holy God. Because of sin, God, in his justice, has to punish us. And that punishment is to die and to be separated from God forever. But because of his great love, what does God do? He provides what we need. We are sinners and we need what? A Savior. And that's the announcement the angels make. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so Jesus leaves his home in heaven. He steps out across the stars. He becomes that baby in a manger, but he grows up. And he goes around the countryside telling people that a new life is possible when they embrace him as their king because he's come to establish God's kingdom. And Jesus, because of his great love, not only lives the life we couldn't live, a perfect life, he goes to a cross to offer himself in our stead. And on the cross, God's willing to do this, to put our sin on Jesus and punish him in our place. And after dying, three days later, what happens? Jesus comes to life and he offers us a new life. He offers us peace, peace with God, because we can be reconciled to God as we trust Jesus Christ, the peace that we can have in our relationships with others, but also peace within our own hearts. And that peace fundamentally comes from believing that God will provide everything you need. Isn't that true? And here's something that, that I think is so important. If God gave us what we needed the most, a Savior, what could be more difficult than that? What could be more costly than that? I mean, don't we have the, the opportunity to really trust God? because of what Jesus has done. In fact, look at this verse in Romans. It says this, since he, God, did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else we need to accomplish his purpose? And listen, when you, when you thank God for what he's done for you, it reminds you that God really cares about you. And if you have trouble sometimes finding something to be thankful for, here's a suggestion. I read this by an author this week. From the day of your birth till you ride in the hearse, things are never so bad that they couldn't be worse. There is always something to thank God for. Now, if you do that, if you do what the verses say, if you tell God what you need, if you thank him for what he's done, what's going to happen? Well, here is the answer. If you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace, God's peace, will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So what's the first thing we can do to have a peaceful heart? You can look at your outline. Keep talking to God about your what? Say it with me. Uh, about your life. And here's the second way that we can have a more peaceful heart. Keep fixing your thoughts on what is true. Keep fixing your thoughts on what is true. And here's how this passage in Philippians continues. And now, dear brothers and sisters, let me say one more thing as I close this letter. And when somebody says, let me say one more thing, you know it's really going to be important, right? And so Paul says this, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right. Think, think about things that are pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. He's saying you've got to deal with the thoughts in your head if you want to have a more peaceful heart. Now let me try a little thought experiment this morning. Are you, are you ready? Nod your head if you're ready. Okay, I want you to use your imagination. I want you to imagine, okay, hold out your left hand. All right. 
Imagine that you have a lemon in your left hand. Do you feel it? It's really cold because you just got it out of the refrigerator. All right, use your imagination now. And you can feel the, the ends of the lemon. It's got these two knobs on there. All right, you look at it, it's really yellow. Okay, in your other hand, pick up a knife. And I want you to cut the lemon in half. Okay, go ahead and cut it. All right, and you can just see the, the lemon juice begin to you know, trickle down your hand and onto your arm. Now, take half of the lemon and set it aside. Are you with me? Okay, take the other half, put it in your hand. Now, bring it closer to your face. All right, and, and now, now squeeze it. Okay, squeeze it with your hand. You see the lemon juice there on the surface? Do you smell the lemon juice? Okay, now lick the lemon. Go ahead. Now, here's a question. Do you have more saliva in your mouth right now than you did a minute ago? Why is that? Because our bodies react to the thoughts in our mind. Isn't that true? We know this. The Bible teaches this. And that means that when you have anxious, stressful thoughts, that's actually harmful to your body. Now, what's the flip side of that? If you have calm, peaceful thoughts, it's good for your body. And that's just a benefit of fixing your thoughts on what is true. And Paul, as he goes through this, this passage, talks about something that he wants us to think about because it's true. And this is in verse 19. He says, And the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Is that true, church? I believe it is, that God will supply everything we need to accomplish his purpose for our life. I read a story this week about this young woman who brought her fiancé home to meet her parents. And so dad and the young man go into the study for a chat. And so he says, so what are you doing with your life, young man? He goes, well, I'm a seminary student. And the dad says, well, that's admirable. He says, but how are you going to um, provide a home for my daughter when you get married? He says, well, I will study and God will provide. I said, okay, well, what about um, raising children? You know, how are you going to afford to do that? He goes, oh, well, I'm going to study and God will provide. And so the conversation goes on and on, and finally it's over, and the guy's wife says, well, honey, how did it go? He says, well, I'm not really sure. Um, on the one hand, um, he has no money or employment plans, but on the other hand, he thinks I'm God. <laughs> you know, what would happen? If we really believed that there was a, a father who not only would provide, but who loved to provide for his children and that we're one of his kids. I mean, you would think that if we really believed that, we would completely let go of worry, right? But is that the world that we live in? I mean, are there times when we still worry? Times when we still doubt that God's going to come through? Why is that? Well, here's one reason. We have a supernatural enemy. And he has a lot of names in this book. Satan, the devil, the evil one. And he wants us to doubt everything that God says is true. In fact, he's called by Jesus the father of lies. And believing his lies can not only make us miserable, but fill us with anxiety and stress and discouragement. And what are some of those lies? Well, here's one. Um, your value as a person, your worth as a person depends on your performance and what other people think of you. Here's the truth. Your value as a person depends on what God says about you. And God says, you're so valuable, I, I sent my son to die for you. Or how about this? Um, you tell yourself, after what happened to me, I will never get over it. Is that true? I mean, what does God say? Hey, you know what? I sent Jesus, my son, to heal the brokenhearted. It is possible to get over it because Jesus can heal your heart. And here's one of my, my favorite lies from the enemy. I call it the Popeye lie. 
know who Popeye is? Okay, from cartoon land? All right. Um, Popeye says, I am what I am, and that's all I am. Right? I'm just, I'm just a sailor man. I'll never change. Do we ever think that? You know, I blew it again. I'm a failure. I'll never change. I'll never break free from this addiction. I'm a mess. What does God say? Here's the truth. Jesus not only came to heal the brokenhearted, he came to set the prisoners free because he has the power to do that. See, the world is, is so full of lies. And that's why the Bible says this, that we should guard our hearts. And how do we guard our hearts? By guarding our minds. Now think about this when it comes to anxiety. Um, two very practical questions. Number one, how do you spend your free time? What do you, what do you fill your mind with? Because I know that sometimes we can be completely indiscriminate about what we allow to go into our heads. Isn't that true? Any, anybody, you don't have to raise your hand. Anybody here ever binge watch TV? Okay. I mean, and we just watch all this stuff and all this stuff and then we go, why am I so anxious? Because <laughs> you watch 10 episodes of Criminal Minds. What do you expect? Right? Or, or how about this? This is another really important one. Think about who your best friends are. The people you spend time with. I mean, do you have friends in your life that remind you of what is true? Do you have friends that point you to Jesus? Do you have friends that actually will point you to the Bible? Because that is so important when it comes to guarding our hearts and guarding our minds. Okay, so what have we learned so far about a peaceful heart? Number one, keep talking to God about your life. Number two, keep fixing your, your thoughts on what is true. And number three, keep doing what pleases God. Keep doing what pleases God. Now the verses we're looking at this morning are written by Paul follower of Jesus, and one of his greatest ambitions in life is to please God. Now, that is part of his strategy to let go of anxiety because he knows that if he does what pleases God, it will produce peace in his heart. And then he says this in verse 9. Well, keep doing what pleases God. And here's the verse in Philippians. Keep putting into practice all you learned from me and heard from me, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, this is what's interesting. When Paul faced a problem, what did he do? You know, there was problems all, all around. I mean, the problem of false teachers in the church. Did he go, oh, man, I'm so worried about false teachers and that people are going to, you know, misunderstand the gospel? No, he goes and confronts these people. He writes letters. He tells people, watch out. So he doesn't just think about the problem. He does something to solve the problem. Or how about this, when there are people in need, what does Paul say? Oh, I'm so worried because they just, they don't have any food and they don't have any clothes. No, he said, hey, church, let's take up an offering. And then he goes and he distributes the, the food and the clothing to people. See, Paul was a man of action and that's true for us. We need to be people of action because that's one of the best ways to deal with anxiety. Look at this question on your outline. What is the first action step I need to take in order to deal with my worry? Now, the first Step is actually to pray, but I'm thinking beyond that. What do you do? You know, for example, let's say that you've got some financial problems that are causing you to be anxious. What do you do? Well, if you don't do anything, you're going to get what? More anxious. You're just going to worry more. So maybe you could sit down and talk about the problem, look, up, look at the problem, come up with a budget, um, come up with a plan to reduce your debt. There's all kinds of things you could do that would lessen your anxiety. Or maybe it's a relational situation that has you anxious. What can you do? Well, you can pray. That's a good place to start. But then say, God, what do you want me to do? Um, maybe you need to go and talk with someone. Maybe you need to write a card. Maybe you need to forgive or ask for forgiveness. There's things you can do that will lessen your anxiety. But church, here's a flip side. 
Sometimes doing nothing in a situation produces anxiety. However, sometimes the things that we do that are not pleasing to God will produce anxiety too. And why is that the case? Because when we're doing something that we know dishonors and displeases God, we're worried that we might get caught. We're worried how it might affect other people. There's anxiety that builds up in our heart. When I was, when I was a kid, I was in the eighth grade, we had this teacher that was really good at um, managing the classroom. And when kids were doing something that was just wrong, there were two words that she said. She had this steely glare, and she would look right at you, and she would say these two behavior-altering words. Are you ready? Quit it! And it worked. And here's what I was thinking. You know, when you, when you read the Bible um, over and over again, it's almost like God is saying, hey, if you're doing something that's on, that dishonors me, here's what I want you to do. Quit it. Quit it for God's sake. Quit it for your sake. Quit it for the people that you love, for their sake. Quit it. Now, here's the thing. In order to quit it, we need God. We need his power. We need God to give us the desire and ability to live a life that honors him. Now, let me just do this. I'd like to close this morning um, with a story about peace, a very compelling story. And some of you may be familiar with the first part of the story, but not the second. It's about a man, his name is Horatio Spafford, and he wrote a really well-known hymn called It Is Well With My Soul. And here's the story behind the song and then kind of the story behind his life. In November of 19, 1873, his wife Anna and their four small daughters set sail for Europe from America. In the middle of the Atlantic Ocean on a beautiful clear night, a sailing ship rammed their ship and split it in two. Anna and her children rushed on deck, but as they huddled together in the chaos, the sea rushed over the deck, and 15 minutes later, the ship sank. Of the hundreds on board, Anna was one of the 57 who were rescued, kept afloat by a piece of debris. Back in Chicago, her husband Horatio, Horatio had been planning to join his family for a holiday in Europe. Instead, he received a tragic cable from his wife with just two words, saved alone. Setting off to bring her home, he crossed the Atlantic, and as the ship passed the watery grave where his four daughters perished, he wrote a hymn. It is well with my soul. The powerful lyrics of this hymn express his unshakable faith that God could give him peace despite the tragic events in his life. Later, a son, Horatio Jr., and a daughter, Bertha, were born to Anna and Horatio. When little Horatio died of scarlet fever at the age of three, it was a crushing blow as deeply felt as a shipwreck. The Spaffords then decided to go to Jerusalem. In a letter to a friend, Horatio said this, Jerusalem is where my Lord lived, suffered, and conquered. And I, too, wish to learn how to live, how to suffer, and how to conquer. In September of 1881, the Spaffords and a few friends arrived in Jerusalem. The group, which came to be known as the American Colony, settled in a house in the old city. This house, now known as the Spaffords Children's Center, is a medical and educational resource for the poorest children in Jerusalem. Since 1925... They have been serving children and over the years cared for thousands. Now church, God not only brought peace to Horatio Spafford's heart, he made him an instrument of peace in his world. And I pray that God will do that for us, that God will enable us to experience his peace and to become an instrument of peace in a world that desperately needs the peace that only Jesus can bring. Let's pray. Father, thank you. For, for your peace. Thank you for Jesus coming to our world so that we could be at peace with you and, and Lord, peace with others and, and even find peace within our own hearts. 
God, today I pray for the person here who has never made that decision to follow the Prince of Peace. And I, I just pray that they would in their hearts say, God, I need you. I want this peace that Jesus promises. And so, God, I just want to tell you that I'm sorry for the wrong things I've done. And I believe that Jesus died to pay for my sins, that he came back to life, and I want to follow him now. Lord, I know that you always honor that prayer. And Lord, for those of us who have made that decision to follow Jesus, Lord, help us to experience your peace. Help us to be peacemakers in this world so that we might point people to Jesus, the one who is the light of the world.